Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. I'm so glad to be here. I'm not here as a mom because I've done everything perfect. I really haven't. I've made so many mistakes. But don't we all? My prayer has often been, God, could you please just fill in the gaps? Could you make up the difference for everything I didn't do right? I mean, if you know my oldest son, Matt, does anybody know him? (laughs) He came up with that video. He, when he was born, I was like, I, I have no words to describe him. He's the different in a good way. He's artistic. He's creative. I mean, he does playgrounds in Africa and South America, and he likes to wear different colored socks on each foot. It's, it's just, he cooks. He likes to paint paintings that he just puts on his wall. He's just this eclectic I don't know what happened. (laughs) I don't know how it happened that way, except for there was this one time. I was a young mom. I was sitting right next to him, and and he rolled off the couch on the carpet. It was one time. I couldn't catch him. And I was sitting right there, and I'm like, I can't believe it. He's going to write a book about me now. (laughs) It was a very bad mom moment. Haven't we all had it? It's like, oh, no. Did I ruin his life? I broke it. Look what I did. I think it's interesting that as a baby, when babies come out, they naturally have a startle reflex. That startle reflex is, you know, I feel like I'm going to fall. Is someone going to support me? And as parents, we're supposed to, you know, try to cradle them and make them feel secure. That one moment with Matt, I didn't do such a good job. And sometimes we don't do such a good job in life. But I think that in throughout all of our life, we get these startling things that happen. And we have a need to feel supported and secure like we're not going to fall. And that's why we need to be able to trust in the life in which we're living. So when we look up the word trust, when we look at it, who are people that we can trust? What are things that cause us to trust someone? Trust, you trust someone where you have an assured reliance in the character of that person. You know they're dependable You know they have a heart for you. You know you can confide in them. You believe in them. You have have faith in them. They have faith in you. It's someone who loves you. It's someone who's consistent. It's someone who's true to their word. They're honest. And they love you. Those are people in our lives that we trust. But if you see a picture of trust, if I looked up a picture of trust, this is what I found two hands clasped like this, but of one pulling the other over a cliff or a ledge. I like that. Trust, pulling someone out over through the scary cliffs of life where we're dangling. You know, I like it because I can understand this is what putting our trust in God is like. I'm going to put my hand, my life in his, and he can pull me up and over the scary ledges and the edges and the cliffs that are just true to life. God can do that for us. Do you know that when you put your hand and your hope in God, he doesn't let us go. He has a strong hand. We let go. He never lets us go. And he's strong enough to put us up and over anything. 
All things are possible with him, and he can do that for us, and he wants to. As I continue to look at this word trust, I like how you see it in the term, in the framework of a relationship. In Proverbs 31, it talks about this ideal godly woman. She's pretty amazing. So what I like about it is in this verse, her husband trusts her. Why does he trust her? How do we develop trust? What is it exactly? Look at Proverbs 31. The heart of her husband safely trusts her so he'll have no lack of gain. I believe it has to do with this part. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now that's someone you trust. Someone you know, they're going to do me good all the days of my life. I'm going to trust them. I'm going to grab hold of them. When trust is broken, it wasn't so good. It can be rebuilt. But God, you can always trust in him. He'll never let you go, and he'll always be good to you. The Bible says the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. He will forever be good to you. Even when we don't even do it right. Even when we make mistakes and we're like, please fill in the gaps. Could you help me, Lord? And he does. So good. In 2008, I had an opportunity to go to Italy and go see the part of my family that didn't come to America. We stopped off in Florence and Rome, and I got to see the Pieta, the David, and the Sistine Chapel. Amazing works of art of Michelangelo. Absolutely a genius artist. I just, I was amazed. The David, fascinating, because it's a mediocre, marred piece of marble at best, and yet he still was able to sculpt something. In the Sistine Chapel, it's um, very colorful. When you look at the ceiling, there's a portion that's very famous called the creation of Adam. You probably noticed this right here. I have a picture. See the hands there? I think it's very pretty. I could never paint anything like that. Matthew may try to, but um, I could never do anything like that. It's very pretty. But you know, this is just personal. I I have a little bit of a problem with it because... They're not touching. And it almost feels, haven't you felt that way sometimes in life? I can't seem to reach God. Is he reaching me? Can I actually get to him? Can I get to the help that I need? The picture of God is he closes in the gaps in our life. He grabs hold of humanity. And when he grabs hold of us, he holds us tight. And he can actually bring us through. He fills in those gaps. I love that. But what if life is so fractured? What if there's a lot of different missing parts? How do we begin to trust? And is there any way for God to put those things back together? There actually are. And I want to share with you this morning what I would term as a tale of two women. You may have heard of them. One is named Sarah and one is named Hagar. Now, Sarah was married to Abraham. Way back in the book of beginnings in Genesis, we see Abraham and Sarah. They love God. They follow God. They obey God. They come away from their family, and God blesses them. There's just one problem. They're not able to have children, and he's older. So Abraham talks to God about it. And God says, Abraham, come here. I need to show you something. Look at the sky. Look at the sky. It was an evening, and he goes, and look at all the stars. Have you ever looked at a sky with all the stars? It's absolutely magnificent. And God just focuses Abraham's gaze, and he goes, look, 
all these stars, you can't count them, you are going to have children. You're going to have descendants so much in number, you couldn't count them. They're like the stars of the sky. Keep that vision, that beautiful vision in your heart. And you know what? Abraham believes God. He's actually called and known as the father of faith, someone who trusted in God. Sarah, not so much. She had a hard time with it. She gets there eventually, but at first she's like, I don't know, I'm really old. I, 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 think, I think maybe God's thinking this. I think maybe I have an idea. Have you ever done that? I have an idea. Let me add on to what God's saying. Tape it on there. Oh, it always ends up a mess that way. I've done it before. So Sarah says, you know, I have this maidservant. They call him a maidservant in the Bible. It was really like a personal assistant named Hagar. Helped around the tent, helped her. And uh, she says, I think, Abraham, that you should take Hagar and let her be your wife too, and we'll have children through her. It was, it was a crazy moment. She wasn't thinking. She didn't play the movie forward. Oh, my goodness, because Abraham agrees to it, which was a huge mistake. You have to know, guys, you can't take women literally all the time. <laughs> we don't exactly mean everything we say. It's like when Alan says, you know, what do you want for Mother's Day? And I say nothing. I don't mean nothing, nothing. I mean nothing too expensive, nothing, you know. <laughs> like, don't take that exactly. So he agrees to this, and he's going to regret it later <laughs> because Hagar gets pregnant. And it's as though you took a favorite family cup or your phone for men, and it dropped on the floor, and you can't catch it enough, and everything just breaks, and you hear the cracks, and you're like, oh no, now we have fragments. What are we going to do? We're going to step into this story in the middle of an argument. Would you love to have your arguments written about? They must have been really loud in their tent on this day. But we are going to step into this. It gets better at the end, but here we go. You ready? Sarah says to Abraham after Hagar's pregnant, my wrong be upon you or this is all your fault. I gave my maid into your embrace. She saw that she conceived and I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarah, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. Oh my goodness, everything went wrong. Everything just got fractured. I mean, we're stepping into now what looks like a modern day blended family. But Hagar, who maybe never felt like she was valuable at all, now is carrying the prized possession. She's carrying what Abraham and Sarah always wanted. She didn't handle it too good. She got haughty about it, and she despised Sarah. She looked down on her. She was diminished in her sight, like, you're nothing. What are you worth? Look, you can't even give him a child. I mean, it was so difficult for Sarah, who already has this pain in her heart, who already feels diminished like she's never enough. And her biggest weakness and deepest sorrow is exposed. The big crack in her life exposed. And not just to Hagar and Abraham, everybody knew it. So what does she do? In her pain and her sorrow, and sometimes we've done it, she gets mad at Hagar. She lashes out, and she lashes out at Abraham too. Haven't you ever had those arguments? You're the leader of the house. You shouldn't have listened to me. I was just following you. You know, I've, I've had those conversations sometimes just that look just like this with Alan because I was hurting so much. 
And I had to realize that I, I made a mistake and I dropped something on the floor and, and now what are we going to do? Nobody handles their part well, not even Abraham. We don't see in the scriptures that he shows any care for Hagar. He loves the baby, but he shows no care for Hagar. She's still a person too. So what happens for here, from here? Are you ready? Okay, let's go. Sarah deals very harshly with her because, why did she do that? Abraham goes, I don't care. Do whatever you want to with her. She treats her very harshly. And Hagar flees from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he says to Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing. I'm running away from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Now, if you'll just hold that there. Wait a second. Hagar, to me, she typifies the single parent home. Whether you're father or mother raising your children, it's hard sometimes. And you want to run away and you have absolutely no place to go. And all your choices, none of them are good at all. This woman, she's an Egyptian woman. She doesn't even know God. And yet, God meets her. He knows her name. He says, Hagar, and I know who you work for. He knew her life. He knows our life when we don't even know him. And he speaks to her, and he goes, you need to go back. Sometimes there's no good choice, and you have to get through a difficult situation. How does she do it? He says to her further on, you're going to have a boy, and his name is Ishmael. And you know what his name Ishmael means? It means God heard your misery. God hears your affliction. And not only does he say that to Hagar in the book of Genesis, he says that to us today. He hears the moans and the cries of our hearts in the middle of the night when it seems like nobody else would care and nobody else even is concerned about your life. But God hears. And Hagar responds and she says this. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Oh my goodness, God, you look at me. You would look at me in my life when it's fragmented, when no one else seems to care. And God would say, yes. He hears our cries. He hears and he knows the misery. He knows our name. He knows where we came from. He knows where we're going. He knows it's hard sometimes under people's hand and under some situations, but it just wasn't fixed yet. Eventually, she got out of that situation. God heard the cries of her child, and he provided for her, and he helped her. And if you're in a single-parent home today, God will help you. God sees you. God hears you. And you can trust that when it's hard and when you have to be under something that just isn't ideal yet. Hagar didn't even do everything right. She did things wrong, and yet God would be merciful to her. That's how good he is. So what happened to Sarah? Sarah did it wrong. I mean, would you love the things written about you that were written about Sarah? You're like, please let my children not write a book about me. 
It might look like that, you know. But it's written about her. What happened to her? God was merciful and good to her too. But you know what she did? She got in faith. She grew and developed her trust in God. And she had a baby too in her old age. It was impossible. Nothing like that had ever happened. But it happened to her. She had a baby. And God said, the name of the baby is going to be Isaac. At first, she's like, yeah, right. That's a joke, right? Like sarcastically laughing. God doesn't sarcastically laugh. He'll have the last laugh. But he says, no, let me tell you what. The name of this child, Isaac, it's going to bring you laughter. I'm going to come in the middle of your pain, and I'm going to bring you joy. And everyone around you is going to rejoice too at what I can do. God is so good. He's so faithful to us. And, and you know what else I love? In the New Testament, when it talks about Sarah, he never even mentions everything she did wrong. Never. The New Testament talks about Sarah glowingly. In Romans, it's like she was a mother of promise. Sarah, it names her. In 1 Peter, it says, be like Sarah. She's a model wife. Meek and quiet. That's under meek and quiet. I'm like, Sarah? I just read her argument. No, Sarah, a godly, holy woman of God who trusted in God. I, that, that wasn't happening over But she got there. A woman who reverenced her husband and wasn't given to fear. Oh, Sarah? God doesn't even mention it. You know why? Because he fixes it. The same way his arms and his hand can pull us up and out of the scary things of life. His hands heal us and put things together again. A really skilled artist or craftsman can work around a mistake to where you almost think it was part of the plan. And even if it wasn't, God's like, watch and see what I can do. His hands heal us. That's how Michelangelo did the, um, the David. It was a marred, mediocre piece of marble at best, and yet he sculpted it. That's what God does to our life. You may go, that describes me. Mediocre, marred, scattered, fractured. But it's not too hard for God to help you and put your life back together again. All you have to do is trust him. And in that hand, he heals. Can we really grow and develop in our trust in God if everything's in pieces? You don't know what I broke, what I dropped on the floor. God knows. He hears, he sees, and you know, he really, really loves us and he cares about us. Even if you don't know him yet, he knows you. He knows your name. And he loves you. But I think the first thing we have to do to develop in our trust in God is to know how good he is and that he will be good to us all the days of our life. That's someone you trust. All the days of our life he'll be good to us. A very simple theology. God is good, the devil's bad. If it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's the devil or I did something wrong. And so I bring all those things to him. Bring all the broken pieces to him. Look what I did. I broke it. Don't hide it. Bring it to him. He knows. Sarah had fractured life from something that she did. Think about the guilt that sometimes we feel and we're like, it's just too late for me. No, not too late for God. She gets in faith. How do we know that? 
Hebrews 11.11 says this, By faith, Sarah herself, aside from Abraham, received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past age. How? Because she judged him faithful who promised. That word faithful means she judged him trustworthy. I trust you. I trust God. I'm grabbing hold of him. He pulled her out of a barren state. He pulled her out of sorrow into joy until in her arms she cradled the baby that she longed for. God is good. He wants to help us in the scary, startling moments and when we've broken things too. In the 1500s, there was this Japanese shogun. I didn't know a shogun meant a military leader. I don't know if you did, I had to look it up. But when I did, I thought it was interesting. This one um, mil shogun, military leader, he had a particular bowl, that tea bowl that he liked. I don't know if it was porcelain or passed down from his family, but he had affinity towards it. He liked it, we all have those things. It's like, it means something to me. So he must have dropped it on the floor, it broke. And so he brought it to a craftsman and he said, is there any thoughtful, aesthetically pleasing way you can fix my bowl? So the craftsman came up with something called kintsugi. Kint meaning gold and sugi meaning joinery. He joined the pieces together with gold. It's called the art of repair, mending with gold. I love this. It doesn't hide the weaknesses and the cracks. It actually highlights them. But in those cracks is 24 karat gold dust. So what was just personally something favorite of the Shogun became very valuable, an artistic piece of work that cost a lot more money. Is that so like God? When we come to him, he fills in the gaps. He comes in close to humanity and everything he does, it's like, you are our gold. I have a piece of kintsugi up here. Look, see? It becomes a piece of work, a piece of artwork. It's, it's what God has for us. But you have to know, God has an affinity towards you. Your life matters. Maybe it hasn't mattered to you, to you but he has something personal in his heart towards you. And if you come and bring the fragments of your life or your heart to him, he puts it together and he fills it in with himself. And it's gold and it's beautiful and your life can be extremely valuable, though you've made a thousand mistakes like I have. I think knowing that God is good and will always be good to us and then knowing that we can look to him. We have to look to the one who looks at us but you're like, how? How do I look at a God who I actually can't physically see? How do, how, how do I do that? Well, one way is you read your Bible. When you read your Bible, you actually see who he is. You begin to get pictures and illustrations of what he would say and what he would do. When I read my Bible, I think of it a lot like what he did to Abraham. Look at the sky. Do you see all the stars? Do you see all the sparkles? The Bible is sparkling with life and good things and promises that God wants to give to you. And if you don't understand it at first, keep reading it. Because over time, you will see that is God speaking to me. That is God who sees me. That is God talking to me. He looks to me and I'm looking to him. 
When we look to him, we focus our thoughts, our life, our direction, our devotion towards him. And then we can pray. When you pray, you're talking to God. Talk to him real natural, like you can't develop trust unless you talk to somebody, unless you communicate, unless you have some kind of interaction. You have to get close enough to talk, but just get used to talking to God. And when you come to church, you are strengthening your faith. It's a corporate faith and trust. We magnify God together. The world won't magnify him. But underneath the canopy of God, there's thoughts, there's words, there's songs you can go home with that will keep you in the middle of the night. And you'll go, I'm trusting him. Now, Alan, he always kids around about my dove. You know, have you, have you heard him talk about my dove? I'm going to talk about my dove this morning a little bit here, tell you about him. His name is Zeke, and I got him in 1999. Uh, my children gave him to me for Mother's Day. And I know, isn't that sweet? I, I happen to like my dove. I just look at him, and he looks at me. It's a very easy pet to have. I just, and he's still alive today. He doesn't coo as much, but I just like my dove. I just think it's so nice to have a dove. So a couple of weeks ago, somebody sent me a song called Dove's Eyes. I thought, what are, what are dove's eyes? I mean, I, I, say, I see my dove every morning when I get up to pray. I'm like, hi, morning, Zeke. Is it his eyes that are real pretty? No, I looked it up. A dove's eyes, actually, they have impeccable sight. Did you know that? And they have binocular vision, so both eyes can only focus on one thing at a time. So in the Song of Solomon, when it says dove's eyes for her beloved, it means I have an undistracted devotion to God. I'm singularly focused like a dove. Isn't that great? I love it. My dove has such meaning and is written about in the Bible. <laughs> so good. Because Alan has a poodle, and I have never found the word poodle in the Bible. <laughs> or poodle eyes. Have you ever read poodle eyes? No, 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 it's not there. Yay for doves. And the last little thing is we have to always begin to believe that and trust that God can help us in life. I love the hands of God. I love to think about his hands. He has a good hand. He has a kind hand, a kind hand towards you. He will pull us out of the scary things that happen, and they will happen. But if your hand is in his, he'll help you. His hands will heal when we make a thousand mistakes, and he'll fill in the gaps. I love who he is. It's just exactly my prayer. And did you know he has a stretched out hand to us? A hand? He's like, I can make up the difference to you. God's hand, it says, is stretched out to us. I love that. I love who he is. In Sarah's most difficult moment, the Lord poses a question to her. I think it's a question that we have to answer in those scary moments in life. He says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no. But I like to answer it with this verse, Proverbs 3, 5. And I make it personal. I trust in you, Lord, with all my heart. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. Every time I lean on my own understanding, I get myself in trouble. I break it. I, I don't do it right. But I'll just start to say and pray, I trust in you, Lord, with all my heart. I trust. I trust in you. And that will get you through life. 
because that's beginning to hold on to who God is. Now, when I grew up, I grew up in a single-parent home. Um, I was about six weeks old when my, mom, uh, when my mom was alone and my dad actually left. So he left our house at six weeks, and so I was in daycare when she had to work. She had to work really hard, and I appreciate everything she did for us. She was here this morning. She's 93 years old. And um, so when I got in elementary, my sister went to college, and I was a latchkey kid. In the 60s, we called it latchkey kids. We would wear the key around our neck. It was like, hi, everybody, I'm going home alone. Nobody's at my house. <laughs> like, don't follow me, but follow me, because this is so obvious. I don't know why. Why did we think that was safe? Anyway, I, I was home, and, and, and at that time, in the 60s, there weren't too many divorced homes. Everybody else had families around me. So here I go home alone, and I'm sitting in the house, and, and when I'd sit in the house, I'd hear the ice cream truck. And I love the sound of an ice cream truck. I always have to this day. And what I had to do is I had to call my mom and pray that she was at her desk. And if she was at her desk, I was like, Mom, I hear the ice cream truck. Is there any way I could have an ice cream? And she's like, if you can find a dime in my beaded purse. So then I had to run to the beaded purse, and my hands would be shaking. I'm like, oh, please, can I find a dime or two nickels or something? So then I'd find something, and then I'd run, run down the street to the ice cream truck. And sometimes I'd catch them, and sometimes I wouldn't. It was exhausting. But I always loved ice cream, and my mother always bought me ice cream in my life. I loved that. And when I was in high school, she was buying me ice cream again. Only this time we're in an ice cream shop. And there's about a five- or six-year-old little girl standing in front of us. And her grandmother is looking in the window of the ice cream shop. So the little girl puts her hand out, and the ice cream attendant goes, You don't have enough money for ice cream. My mother hears it. She grabs change out of her change purse real quick, and she steps in. She goes, excuse me, but um, what does she need? Does she need a dime? Does she need a nickel? I, I want to make up the difference so that she gets an ice cream. They didn't have any more money. They didn't have enough. I love that my mom left that impression upon me, but it reminds me of an expression of God. We don't have enough. We don't have enough in life. We run short. We do it wrong. We break it. But God actually sent Jesus to stand in the gap for us. And the hand stretched out to us is a nail-scarred hand that costs a lot more than any money you can find in a change purse. It cost his life, and he willingly gave it. He's like, let me make up the difference. Let me fill in the gaps with gold. Let me do something with your life. No one will even know you were broken in the end. And let me pull you out of the most scariest of situations. He will be good to you all the days of your life. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every person here, every family represented, that you bless them and your hand is upon them. And they sense your presence, that you know who they are, their name, and you will help them and repair them and heal them in Jesus' name. It's still about eyes closed. If you came this morning and said, you know what, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I'm not, I'm not sure. Or maybe you recognize that at one time you had a relationship with the Lord and you walked away from him. We want to say a prayer. We're not going to have you stand up or come to the front if you're watching online. This prayer is for you as well. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm only going to ask you to do one thing.
that's you that I'm talking to this morning and you say, you know what? I know I need the Lord or I know I need him back in my life. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip your hand up across this auditorium and say, Alan, that's me. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. All over. I can't see you online, but I see hands all over. Anybody else? Put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand and you're like, oh man, I missed my opportunity. You didn't miss your opportunity. God sees hands. He sees hearts. You can pray this prayer. I'm going to lead you in it. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. If you're watching online, you're by yourself. Pray it out loud. If you're with other people, pray it with us. I'll lead you in it. You pray together. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now with head still bowed and eyes closed, Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. Thank you, Father, for those who've come to you for the very first time and for those who've come back. We rejoice with them. We know, Lord, that you will be good to them all the days of their life. And so we rejoice with the good plans that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.